I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 29. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did in opposing the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200 thousand foot soldiers and 10,000 soldiers of Judah. Saul came to the city of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, go, leave, withdraw from among the Amalekites, or I will destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites withdrew from the Amalekites Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. He took King Agog of the Amalekites alive, but utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Saul and the people spared Agog and the best of the sheep and of the cattle and of the fatlings and the lambs, and all that was valuable and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Samuel was angry and and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul and, and Samuel was told, Saul went to Carmel where he set up a monument for himself and on returning he passed on down to Gilgal. 
When Samuel came to Saul, Saul said to him, May you be blessed by the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have, we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He replied, Speak. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission of which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agog, the king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But from the spoil, the people took sheep and cattle, the, the best of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to your law, Lord, your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? Surely to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is, is no less a sin than divination. And stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray, pardon my sin and return with me so that I may worship the Lord. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this very day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Moreover, the glory of Israel will not recant or change his mind, for he is not a mortal that he should change his mind. This, this is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God.
well, before I was a high school teacher, as you know that I was, um, and then became a pastor, I had a great many other jobs. I, I worked at an assisted living facility. I waited tables in restaurants. <laughs> and I actually also did people's makeup at glamour shots. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. And for a brief period of time, I, I did work in sales at, at K Jewelers in MacArthur Center Mall in Norfolk, Virginia. Getting people to buy jewelry wasn't so hard. It really wasn't. Um, what was really hard, though, what was hard was getting people to apply for K Jewelers credit cards. And there was this expectation that you get at least one credit card app every single shift that you worked. It was required, and so there they had all these incentives so that we could do this. There were incentives to getting people to to apply for K's credit. That's where the real money and benefits really was in the job. Bonuses were available for those of us who made the most sales through K Jewelers financing. My main job at K Jewelers wasn't like I thought it was going to be, wasn't helping people pick out those beautiful once in a lifetime engagement rings. No, my my main job was to convince people to apply for credit cards so that they might be willing at that day or someday in the future through the pressure of advertising, through us hounding them through the mail, go into debt to K Jewelers. And the way we would do this is simple, really. When the mall was fairly empty and traffic through the store was slow, our manager would say, all right, y'all, get on the line get on the line, which meant for us that, that we had to get from behind the counters and stand on that magical line at the edge of the storefront that outlined the store and start calling out to people and stopping every single person who walked by us until you got your credit app for the day or more. We just stood on the line outside the edge of the store selling our souls selling ourselves, selling whatever we thought people wanted to hear until we got the job done. And I'll, I'll never forget, I'll never forget, we had this one ruthless manager who was known for saying, for saying this. When you're out there, when you're out there, you may lie about everything under the sun except for the product itself. Lying was just what we did. Under the framework of being honest about the product, we became masters almost of, of manipulation on the line. Most of us were, were right out of high school too. College students looking to make a little extra part-time cash, you know, without any real sales experience at all. But by summer's end, all of us had become masters of, of the tricks on how to get credit card apps filled out, how to, how to break down a skeptical customer's resistance to buying or financing. Now the question is, was there, was there really anything wrong with this? Was there? On one level, 
everything in the company seemed, it seemed generally on the up and up. Certainly this was not the worst kind of salesmanship, right? It's not. There, there were plenty of, of people out there who, who intentionally deceive. Companies that intentionally deceive, if not lie right out about what they're selling. Yet, yet on another level, this, this human level maybe, looking back, there, there was something deeply troubling about what we were doing and what we were being asked to do. We, we were not just selling a product. We were representing ourselves to other people in a way that was deliberately false. This phony version of ourselves, this phony version of our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs, all crafted for the sole purpose of making this sale. In order to make money, we created an environment, a context, a narrative, all geared toward convincing them that they wanted, no, that they needed this product. The reality was that even if we were technically truthful about the size and the quality of the diamond, we were deceiving folks almost every moment we spent with them on the job. But the, but the real concern wasn't what we were doing to our customers, but it was what we were doing to ourselves. Which brings us to the third commandment today. God says, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Another version reads, you shall not make false oaths. Notice a common confusion here. I wonder if you, you first heard the, the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. I wonder if, if what came to mind was you shouldn't use God's name in relation to a cuss word. You, you probably heard that growing up. Anytime you said Jesus Christ when you stubbed your toe or added God's name when you damned something to hell that was really plucking your nerves that day, but, but that is actually not the way our, our Jewish siblings and faith would have even heard this. It, it's not what, what this commandment is about. God says, you shall not use the name of the Lord in vain. The third commandment is, is really about the lies that we tell ourselves. And, and, don't, and don't get this confused with the ninth commandment either. It, it doesn't say thou shall not lie or, or bear false witness. The third commandment doesn't say thou shalt not lie. Instead, it says you shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. Meaning that the key issue is not so much the technical accuracy of a word, but rather the, the substantive truthfulness of our souls, our 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 ability to act truthfully and represent ourselves honestly to others. The third commandment is about the lies that we tell ourselves. It's telling us that honesty is not a farce and that there is this powerful conception of integrity that all of us long for, 
this vision of, of, of human honesty that the Bible insists is crucial for us to live good lives. And there are many ways to see this in Scripture. But, but Scripture always seems to bring one way up above the rest. The Bible seems to place this profound emphasis on one sign of human honesty and integrity, and, and that is the willingness to admit fault and, and accept responsibility. In the whole of the scripture narrative, the willingness to admit fault is the highest measure of honesty and integrity. The willingness to admit fault and responsibility is the highest measure of integrity in the Bible, for it is in admitting fault that we have the most to lose by telling the truth, right? Multiple biblical stories suggest that it is this single virtue that makes a leader, actually, that distinguishes between those who are worthy of authority and leadership from those who are, who are not worthy of it. And the Bible seems to say, and the third commandment seems to suggest, that if you want to be a leader in God's kingdom, or if you want to be a leader in business, or in management, or parenting, or the church, you have to be willing to often and always receive upon yourself the riskiest part of truth-telling, which is, which is admitting personal fault. This is at the heart of the third commandment. This is what God was talking about when God said, do not make false oaths. Don't take my, my name in vain. And this is at the heart of our scripture today. Did you hear it as, as Alyssa read it for us? Ooh. <laughs> right? This scripture. What a scripture. It's like one of the absolute worst texts in all of the Old Testament. It's, it's one of those scriptures that makes people think that the God of the Old Testament is just angry and vengeful and we ought to forsake this God entirely. I get it. I totally get it. And then it's, it's followed up by this conversation that is just plain confusing between Saul and Samuel. In our scripture today, Saul, Israel's very first king before King David, has been commanded by God to destroy the evil Amalek nation in its entirety. Not only, not only the fighting men, but also the women and children, and the livestock. And so Saul demonstrates his obedience to God, and he fights, and he defeats the Amal Amalekites, and, and yet he, he just can't follow the radical absolute of God's command. Who among us blames Saul for this? Not me. I cannot swallow the ruthlessness of this kind of God. I just can't. And so Saul falls short of God's command and spares the best sheep and the best cattle and even saves the life of the Amalekite king Gagag. Upon learning this, the prophet 
Samuel is sent by God to appear to Saul, to confront Saul, and he confronts him for his failure to live up to the demands of his job. He's king. He's got to make difficult decisions. And what what follows this, I think, is one of the most bizarre exchanges in the entire Bible between Saul and the prophet Samuel. Did you hear it? On the face of, of it, Saul is stripped of the monarchy, stripped of his kingship and his leadership and his authority simply because of his failure to, to fulfill God's commandment down to its most extreme letter. There, there are Plenty of instances throughout scripture where kings, though, fail to live up to God's will, but, but don't lose their entire right to reign because of it. Why, why in the world, why in the world would the failure to butcher, butcher Amalekite sheep and the sparing of a life end his kingship forever and justify the end of a dynasty. Is God, is God really this ruthless? Is God really upset with Saul's inability to fulfill God's bloody demands? If so, the scripture is in fact the worst. And this God, I don't, I don't want to worship this God. So what is, what is going on here? I believe the length and complexity of this dialogue we see play out between Saul and Samuel, this this very confusing and unusual dialogue, suggests that there is, is actually more going on here. Just the fact that we get to hear the extended pleas of Saul after his judgment, after his kingship is stripped away from him, that alone should tell us something is up here. And then there's Samuel's summation. Did you hear it? It's the, it's the most important part. And, and it's going to help us get to the heart of what this text is really about. Samuel says, God, the glory of Israel will not recant or change his mind, for he is not mortal that he would change his mind. The real problem with Saul is not that he is unwilling to kill some livestock or spare a life. The real problem isn't Saul's failure to follow God's radical orders. No, the real problem is Saul's failure to seize responsibility and his inability to admit fault after not having done so. Notice the dialogue. Saul isn't removed as king because he failed to follow God's bloody command. He is removed because he is just laissez-faire, unresponsible, unmoved. His dishonest response through it all. His actions lack, lack integrity. He seems less concerned about who's being killed and more concerned with having to do the dirty work himself, more concerned with how valuable the cattle are. If he was concerned about the Amalekite lives, wouldn't he have pleaded with God to relent on their behalf? 
If he was concerned about the Amalekite lives, wouldn't he have spared the women and children? Why don't we have record of that? And when God says the glory of Israel doesn't recant, doesn't change his mind, Scripture tells us that God is obviously not referring to to his punishment of Amalekites. Because there are many other places in Scripture where God does relent, where God does recant, where God does change God's mind and spare people from punishment when God's people pray and seek and plead on their behalf. Abraham pleads with God. Moses pleads with God and God makes new promises and God spares people from the punishment that their actions have brought upon them. But but what we find in Saul is this coward. He's this, this coward who doesn't go to bat for these people, doesn't even really seem to care about what matters, but rather what he doesn't have to do, and, and who insists that he, he did God's bidding when he obviously did not do it, not as God commanded it, and who hymns and haws with Samuel until finally he does admit fault, but only when he, when he, he stands to lose everything. At Saul's inability to speak courageously, and truthfully, that Samuel responds to when he speaks of a God who does not lie, does not change God's mind. This God will not relent, will not recant or change his mind when it comes to stripping Saul's power and leadership away because he is not worthy of it. For it is Saul's dishonesty more than his disobedience that has kindled God's anger. If Saul had confessed, or if Saul had stood up to God from the beginning, expressing truthfully, praying mercifully on behalf of the Amalite people, he might have kept his crown. And so when God offers us the third commandment, you shall not make false oaths, you shall not take my name in vain, God is holding the admitting of fault and responsibility as the most important form of integrity. A a prerequisite to kingship, a prerequisite to leadership, because it doesn't just limit manipulation, it positively shatters our facades. We We are so wired to protect ourselves, aren't we? To protect an image of good, reliable people, and when we admit fault, we always risk severely hurting our reputation. But the Bible seems to say that someone who is not willing to admit their mistakes or responsibility is, at best, willing to sacrifice the truth in order to save their self-image, or at worst, has traded their inner moral self for a self-image that is ultimately fake, and when put to the test, it will absolutely crumble. Behind the third commandment lies this single vision of honesty that goes far beyond just simple, untrue information passing on to others. Integrity, Scripture teaches us, is about how 
how we represent ourselves in the world. Whether, whether I can be, as, as the ancient rabbis taught, someone whose inside is like his outside. In integrity, it means rejecting falsehood and, and manipulation as ways of dealing with others. In, in business, it means not only never lying about the product, but also refusing to hide information, important information from a potential customer and not misleading about who we are and what our experiences in life have been and anything that may influence the other's decision. In, in politics, it means full disclosure of, of a candidate's dealings and in health and beliefs and policy intentions at least anything that can be conceivably important in a voter's choice. In journalism, it means sticking to the narrative we know to be true, even if it makes the story less interesting. At work, it means never misleading our employers about our qualifications, how we spend our time during, during work hours, what we have accomplished, or whether we really were actually sick that day. And in personal relationships, it means not only keeping our word to our friends and our spouses and our children, but also having the courage to confront them with the things that bother us, even at the risk of conflict or separation. The third commandment reminds us that every time we encounter another human being, we are not just advancing a product or service or cause or candidate. We are, we are representing ourselves in the life of another. And so why is this so important? Why? If the Ten Commandments is really just a blueprint for a good society, why is this important? Because a functioning society requires, first and foremost, the constant reliance of people on one another. Think about it. We, we seldom appreciate the extent of our, inter, our interdependence. What if we did? What if we did? What if this, this kind of honesty, this kind of mutual reliability is the key to true connections of friendship, the key to authentic community, what if the third commandment says that there is room in the world for genuine, reliable, truth communication between people, this, this crack in that shell of deception, and the possibility of bridging the unfathomable gap between us, making an oath before God, perhaps, to, to a community like, like this one, like the Kingstown Communion, your church, where we, its members, commit with integrity and honesty our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, our witness, invoking the Lord's name in an oath and commitment to a church like this, to stepping outside the, the rumbling flow of, of talk and deception and unreliability that marks our world in our daily lives, it's putting not just our words, but our, our, our reality, our whole reality, our very being behind what we convey to others. It is showing the world that there will always be 
room for truth on this earth. A, a sacred place like that. If we try hard enough, that can expand to include our entire lives. God inviting us into lives of responsibility, lives of honesty and integrity, the same God who demonstrated ultimate honesty and oath-keeping in Jesus, who said, I will be with you, this I promise. I will be with you no matter what, whatever it takes, and lift up to that promise in Jesus, forsaking heaven to meet us on earth so that God's name and call and redemptive ideal would not be in vain. I offer this to you today in the name of God, the Father, in the name of Christ, his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we pause and reflect upon your command in the third commandment today. To not take your name in vain. To not make promises we can't keep. To not forsake our responsibility and to live lives of honesty and integrity. And honestly, God, we know what it looks like when others do it. But we rarely evaluate ourselves in light of that standard of honesty and integrity. We assume ourselves most of the time to be people of integrity until something is pointed out that shows that we're not. We are so often evaluating the integrity of others rather than, than taking a look at the, the lies that we tell ourselves. And so today, God, we ask that you would hold us accountable, that we would become today people of responsibility. We would take responsibility. And if there are places in our lives where we must and have not admitted fault, there are spaces where, where our reputation, our facade is more important than, than the honesty and integrity you are calling us into and the relationships that benefit from that, God. We, we ask you to hold us accountable. Bring to mind those places where we got to be truthful with ourselves and truthful with others. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Table of the Lord. There is peace at the table of the Lord. There is peace at the table.